0: Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. Interesting day, an eventful day, of course, of the United Nations yesterday. uh, Donald Trump addressed the UN. Uh, Justin Trudeau didn't, but now we're told that he might uh, later on today, uh, which is a a bit of a change in plan. They actually had a brief meeting yesterday, too, uh, at some luncheon or something, and uh, Trudeau went over and tried to shake his hand, and I guess they got a handshake, and that was about it, and then Trump went back to whatever he was doing. But uh, there was obviously no discussion about NAFTA, which is a bad news situation because, well, that one of those deadlines that seems to come and go is a coming up again this weekend, and the uh, lead U.S. negotiator Robert Lighthizer, says that uh, look at you know Canada's running out of time. Uh, tick tick tick. But he says we'll still negotiate after, even if they they miss the deadline. But they're going to move ahead with the Mexico deal. Marvin Ryder is here from the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University to talk about uh, the latest twists and turns in this. <laughs> uh, is is it's uh, like a soap opera? Well, it is. It is, and and obviously Lighthizer trying to put some pressure on uh, the Canadian contingent right now. I, I got to tell you, just before we get into to where we are in the negotiations. Uh, I, I read uh, Bob Woodward's book called "Fear," mm-hmm. and I know a lot of people want to talk about about the uh, ineptitude, et cetera, of the of the Trump administration. And and there's a lot of evidence in that. Yes, but there's also some very insightful aspects about Trump's trade ideas and po- and concepts. Uh, he, I, I guess, just he has been surrounded in the early days of his administration by people that said, "Don't do tariffs. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad, it's bad for our economy. It's bad for everybody." Uh, expand free trade deals, and he would not listen to them. He said no. uh, they gave him, you know, report after report saying, "See, Mr. President, this is." And instead, those guys are gone now because they just got so frustrated. And he's brought in probably the only two people he could find <coughs> that that think trade and tariffs are, 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 you know, go together. One is Navarro, of course, and the other was Wilbur Ross, and it was Ross that brought in Lighthizer. Right. And I think Larry Kudlow, uh, who's
1: now his economic yeah. advisor from TV, he's in that opinion. So, Bill, there are two camps in the world today. There is, There are people who are free traders who believe that the future is opening borders and allowing goods to move and let each nation produce that, that they're good at and buy from other nations that which they are not good at. And the others are protectionists. Now, I think what fuels Mr. Trump, and look, I, this is dangerous. I'm almost doing psychoanalysis here in a way. In the last century, from the year 1900 to the year 1999, there is no doubt about it, the world's dominant economic power was the United States. In the 1800s, for that century, it was England, but England's power diminished in the 20th century, and America's power went up. And America's got addicted to being the world's largest power and most economic uh, powerful country in the world. Nice people like me, academics like me, take a look at this century and say it's not going to last. What we've seen in China since 1968 is nothing short of an economic miracle. And if you just extrapolate the line, just extend it forward, probably sometime in the next 10 years, maybe even as short as the next eight years, China will become the world's economic power. And before half a century is gone, India will move into the number two spot. The United States is going to be number three. Mr. Trump doesn't agree. He says, no, no, I can stop that. I can prevent that from happening. They're only succeeding because we, the United States, are letting them. So we're going to flex our muscle once again. We're going to put tariffs on them. We're not going to buy from them. We're going to show them the America that I grew up with that dominated the world. I will say that is a view of people who tend to be older, who remember, quote, the good old days and like the good old days and don't want to embrace the new reality. The free traders, and maybe Justin Trudeau, I'll use him as an example, tend to be younger, tend to realize that the old ways are not coming back, so we have to adjust. Um, Bill, I often get comments from people on the street who tell me, uh, you know, all these leaders, whether it's the prime minister or the premier, and they're, they're always going off to India and China. They must really love taking holidays over there. And I'm saying, no, they're negotiating your future. If these are going to be the dominant powers of this century, we have got to find a way to start trading with them. We don't share a language, we don't share a culture in many cases, uh, but look, now is the time to build the bridges so when they are the economic powers, we've got well-established trade links. That's what we did with America, but it was just so easy, it was south of the border. So that's where Trump comes from, and and I will tell you that most economists or economic theorists in the United States believe that Mr. Trump is just 100% wrong on this tariff thing, but it plays well people who have lost jobs. People, I used to work in a plant, I had a grade 11 education, and I was making $60,000 a year. Well, it's not fair, it's not right that I've lost my job. And they want to blame something. They either want to blame China, or they want to blame Mexico, or they want to blame you know, companies closing and so on and so forth. The reality is most of these jobs have been lost to technology. So again, free trade is a way to to keep the industries that you're strong at, keep them built up, and then reach across to to the next generation of businesses and go accordingly. Mr. Trump again is stuck in the old world. I'm going to bring coal back. I'm going to bring iron back. I'm going to do because I'm going to put all these barriers, and then American companies will thrive. And it might play well for a year or two, it might do
0: well for a year or two, but we don't see it as a long-term strategy. Well, yeah, for that very reason about technology. But he seems to, it's not just a protectionist, he seems to just uh, basically reject the idea of, of trade at all. I mean, he'd rather just have a U.S. economy that's internalized. Yeah. In other words, we'll, we'll manufacture goods here just for our people and to hell with the rest of the world. Right. And we don't need you. We don't need the rest of the world. Look, we're 350 million people and we've got
1: buying power and, you know, to hell with you. Um, at his speech yesterday at the United Nations, and there, are, we, I, I don't necessarily sure you want to go into that, but you know, for instance, he was laughed at, absolutely laughed at, by 183 world diplomats from around the world. Within the first minute of his speech, when he announced that his administration had done more for the United States than any other administration ever in the history of the, you go, know, you know, what is that man smoking? But another theme in his was that I am doing to America what you should be doing to yourselves. You know, make your country great first, supply your goods first, put up barriers and and provide your own. And, And the world, for the most part, rejected what he had to say. That isn't the theme of the European Union, for instance. I'm not saying the European Union is perfect and that it doesn't have some challenges, and certainly Brexit is among the the biggest ones out there at the moment. But generally speaking, the theme that the rest of the world is marching to is that we are better to trade with one another, to become freer trade, maybe not absolutely free trade, but freer trade, let more things go, and taking the case of Canada, we don't have a domestic citrus industry. Why would we even think about building greenhouses and growing our own oranges and lemons? Let's go to where they grow naturally and buy them from them. On the other hand, let's use what we have. In our case, that tends to be things like lumber and coal and natural resources, which we have in great abundance. Let's use what we have naturally to our advantage. And that it's just a very interesting contrast. Uh, I, I
0: just really feel that Mr. Trump is just totally tone deaf to where the rest of the world is going. Well, ex- except he does obviously take some of his personal beliefs and and applies those to the policies. Uh, there was one Washington insider over the weekend, in one of the news shows I was watching, and just they all kind of blend into one another yeah. after a while. Uh, that suggested one of the reasons that they're having a hard taking a hard line with Canada is because Canada is is working with with China. Uh, they're they're negotiating a trade deal. Uh, they, you know, it, of course, there's the Trans-Pacific, but I mean, separate from that. They're, they're working on deals, and obviously he, he can't stand China. He, he looks at them as an enemy right now from an economic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So he's ticked off at Trudeau for going after a China trade deal right now, and he says, well, I, I'm going to punish you for that. That seems to be the attitude. Yes, the punishment attitude is a very strong part
1: of Donald Trump's theme. If you either, either do what I want or I punish you, that's a uh, strict disciplinarian. So t- talk about China for half a second. It is certainly true that China has um, – shall we say, put an olive branch to Canada and said, we'd love to talk about a free trade deal with you. Now, Canada has said, thank you, thank you. Sure, we can do a little talking, but it's certainly not on a front burner and it's not on a burner that's turned up high because trying to do a free trade with China is is difficult. The, The legal structure of China, the laws that govern how business operates in China, are so different, and our fear would be that if we really did drop the border, uh, companies in China doing things that might be bad for the for the environment, doing things that are bad for the citizens that maybe don't believe in equal rights for women, what have you. We'd be promoting that, so. I think, again, what we're happy to talk to China about is freer trade, maybe letting some things in. And at the same time, China needs some of our products as well. Again, whether it's lumber or oil, but even food, 1.4 billion people have got to be fed somehow. And so Alberta beef and Saskatchewan grain would be a great way to go that. So, yeah, we're talking. And I think, again, Mr. Trudeau, it's not so much that he went to China and said, let's gang up on, on Mr. Trump. We, Mr. Trudeau just will, will talk to anybody, anybody at any time. Uh, this week, I kind of lost in the news cycle, but I think it was on Monday um, or, or may have been last Friday, that the uh, president of Nepal was visiting Ottawa to say thank you to China for all the help that we had given them after they'd had an earthquake. Um, on the world stage, Canada is seen as a country that's open and friendly and willing to help, and I think that's a great a great positioning strategy for us, especially in contrast to Mr. Trump, who seems to be unwilling to help putting up walls, putting up barriers. The
0: contrast couldn't be greater. But, but there's a price to pay. And I understand yes. that you know the U.S. economy is not going to be brought to its knees. That's not going to happen. But he just last week imposed even more tariffs on Chinese goods. He did. And as we, you've talked about, I, I guess he doesn't get this message, uh, it's the American public that's going to suffer from those tariffs. And it's not going to be at Saks Fifth Avenue. You go shopping next week, that's not, but it's going to be at Walmart or drama and that's that's Trump's base that that's those are the people that wear the red hats and they're the ones that are going to see higher prices now, and they're not going to be able to to, dr- to connect those dots to say the higher prices are because your president put tariffs on Chinese goods. Mm-hmm. And those are the Chinese goods that you want to buy right now, those jeans, that whatever it is. <laughs> right. And a bit like
1: Canada, when we decided to counter with tariffs, we selected products very specifically that Canadians first would have an alternative to, so that if we put a tariff on, I don't know, let's say Vermont maple syrup, there's also a Quebec maple syrup, so you don't have to pay the tariff if you don't want to. The Chinese Chinese are also being very surgical with their application of tariffs. So the difference, Trump is like a sledgehammer. He puts them across whole categories of products to teach somebody a lesson. Chinese, like Canada, are surgical and saying, we're going to put them on very specific goods where our – citizens have alternatives they don't have to buy American fill in the blank whatever it is they could buy European or they could buy something else and we won't put a tariff on or Canadian we won't put a tariff on those and and so this this is you know I think they're being much more clever and I think Mr. Trump could be much more clever but Bill in a way this gets us to the question then of what happens with NAFTA because I think maybe people are a little confused that while we have been talking about NAFTA 2.0, NAFTA 1.0 is still in effect. And so for the last year, 14 months, we have still been operating under the old terms of NAFTA. And if we don't sign a new deal, the old terms still go on. Um, unless he...
0: Unless, yes. that's He, the magic he can word. cancel it, but he's got to give what? Six, six, months six, six, six months notice.
1: So this is the question that if we miss this deadline, which is October 1st, uh, and it's a self-imposed deadline, there's nothing anywhere that says we have to have the deal by October 1st, Uh, what will Mr. Trump do? To date, he's chosen not, not, to uh, announce that the deal is being destroyed in six months. He's also chosen not to put other tariffs. Now, he has threatened to do both, he has threatened to say to Canada, if you don't sign by October one, then I'm going to put 25% tariffs in the auto industry, which would be disastrous to the Canadian economy and take us back into a recession by the summer of 20 by the early summer of 2019. Uh, or, you know, he says I'm going to just break the deal. So six months from now, that would be what March or so of next year. Suddenly, we have no NAFTA. No one's quite clear what that would mean because NAFTA itself supplanted other trade deals that we had. So would we default back to those old trade deals like the Auto Pact, which governed the automobile sector? So we we really don't know. We don't know what Plan B is here. A status quo, if he leaves NAFTA, we can live with and we'll just keep talking away and we'll find a way forward. But if he chooses to change Plan B and say I'm either going to put tariffs on Canada's automobiles or I'm going to uh, uh, end NAFTA, signal the end of NAFTA, then that would be a, a much bigger challenge for us. Bill, one other quick thing I should note. you know, If he were to go the tariff route on the automobiles, absolutely he'd hurt the Canadian economy. But here's the amazing thing. He'd hurt himself as well. Uh, all the people who've done these models and, and run it through, what would these things mean? Not only would Canada be in recession by the summer of 2019, but so would the United States. And his own auto sector says this is a hollow threat. Please, Mr. Trump, don't do that. We don't want those tariffs. It's going to hurt GM and Ford and Chrysler, the very companies that you bailed out ten years ago when we had the last economic crisis, please don't do this. But again, in Mr. Trump's world, I think I think he feels that short-term pain, a recession would be short-term pain, is worth the long-term game of teaching a lesson to those Canadians who've been taking advantage of us for so long.
0: Uh, that's the title of Wood's book, uh, Fear. Uh, and Trump has been very open about that. He says uh, he wants to punish. He's not looking for fairness. He's looking for capitulation. Interesting idea, too, about the negotiations that are going on, and we've talked about Lighthizer and, and Christia Freeland uh, and the roles that they're playing. Uh, when he was appointed, uh, Lighthizer, as the chief negotiator for trade, and it's not just with NAFTA, as you've talked yeah. to about before, he's, he's talked any he trade with the United States right now. Apparently, one of the things that stuck in his craw for the longest time was the dispute resolution process. Uh, He never did like it, which is why, obviously, it's still on the table. And I find it interesting that he's characterizing Canada as being inflexible on this, yet it seems to be him that's dug his heels in and said, no, we're not going to continue with this. We want to have something different. Yes, when one side of a negotiation
1: says the other person won't compromise, another way to think of it is, well, that they're not willing to compromise either. You know, if both sides had flexibility, we could find middle ground. And there are, we call it hills to die on, things that you say, I just, I can't, I, I cannot in good faith to whatever nation I'm representing change this. Um, why does Mr. Leitizer hate dispute resolution? I think it's really easy, Bill. In the last 25 years under NAFTA, uh, Canada has filed a number of complaints, and we've won every single one of them. America thought they were in the right, and when independent people—a three-party, three-judge panel—took a look at it, they said, "No, America, you're wrong. These other nations are right. You're doing bad things, and if you're the party in power, you don't like hearing Not that." Exactly. Um, Mexico. I think the reason why Mexico signed the deal it did without a, uh, with, with this sort of. Uh, uh, what they call it chapter 19 with it not in the agreement was because they had never filed a complaint. Mexico had never had a problem under NAFTA. Um, uh, the United States may have had a problem, but uh, but Mexico didn't. So they say, well, we can live with it. We don't really need it. We never use that clause anyway. But that's why it's so important to Canada is that we did use it and we were successful using it. But that's also why Mr. Lighthizer <laughs> wants it to change. He can't stand that Canada has this kind of success. And I should point out, Bill, this is true in any multinational trade agreement. You have to have a way to settle disputes. When one country says, oh, no, no, we're not really dumping product in your market. No, no, you've got it wrong. And We say, no, we are sure you are. Now, we love you on other things, but on this one, we're going to have a, an independent panel decide, are you dumping or are you not? Or are you doing something else that's wrong? Uh, and so we have these in TPP. We have these in CETA. That's the free trade deal with the European Union. We'd have it in any free trade deal with, with uh, Great Britain. You have to have a way to, do, to resolve these. The American approach is just that th- any dispute you have with us will be settled by American courts and the American Supreme Court. And it won't be
0: anybody else deciding this. And we go, no,
1: no, if it truly is a multi-party deal, we need a
0: multi-party panel. I got a couple of minutes left. What are the chances of, of actually getting a deal? Then I mean, even if it's not by the weekend, when when they seem so entrenched in this, uh, the, the dispute resolution being one, uh, supply management is another. And I just I, Trump again the other day when he was speaking at one of his uh, "Hey, you gotta love me" rallies, uh, was talking about supply management and saying and and vilifying Canadians for saying, well, you, they put a three hundred percent tariff on on our dairy goods which is a half-truth. I mean, that's if they exceed the quota. There's a lot of American dairy product that comes in here duty-free, a lot. Uh, And if they go above that, yeah, there's a duty. But but how often does that actually happen? Well, they'd like it to happen more because in the United States, each farmer produces as much
1: milk, for instance, as they possibly can, and then they seek a market for it. In Canada, supply management means each person produces to a quota, and that quota is manageable. In other words, there's not going to be surplus. We see American farmers dumping milk on fields. So Bill, let me give you a couple of scenarios. Uh, uh, because of uh, last Friday, there was a conference of foreign ministers in, I think it was Montreal, it might have been Quebec City. Christia Freeland had to be there, and she had to be there at the United Nations in the early part of this week. But we still have a couple of days left this week that they have cleared their calendar, and once again... <laughs> They're going to be in Washington talking. I think there are three scenarios. So scenario one is that we, at the last minute, pull fat from the fire and we get a deal and we can all sit and dance and celebrate and everyone's going to go, thank God that they got past that. Second possibility is that they say, look, we have 95% of a deal. Yes, we haven't agreed on these three things, but let's, let's wrap that up in a bow send that forward to Congress for ratification and just agree to keep talking so that it's you know we don't have a clause 19 we don't have this but this is what we have let's put that to bed sign a deal and at least now we're seen as playing ball and we're moving things forward. Of course the third possibility is that we get to October 1st, that's next Monday, with no deal at all and my question is at some point I think the world is going to say, and when I say the world I mean Canada's citizens and maybe the American citizens are going to say, what, what's stopping you? Although they've not shared any of this, we can only guess what's stopping them. At some point, I think they'll have to pull back the curtain and say, well, here's why we're not getting a deal. And then say, do the public, are the public willing to do that? If we heard why Christia Freeland wouldn't sign NAFTA, will we get behind her and say, good for you, Ms. Freeland, thank God you're fighting for fill in the blank? Or would we say, really? This is what you're holding on? You know, maybe it's what they call the de minimis level that you can bring goods into Canada today. It's 20 bucks by mail, and then the United States wants you to take it to 800 and you're only willing to go to 25 Come on, Miss Freeland. You can't buy anything for $25. Let it go. So
0: I think at some point this will have to come out if we don't have the deal by Monday. We'll see. It seems to change by a, a <laughs> day. Marvin, thanks as always. Good That's to a have soap you opera here. for you. It sure is.